Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe and we are recording remotely once more. (laughs) But this time Kate has promised she won't make me do another wordle. (laughs) Always at the sound of the nation breathing a sigh of relief. (laughs) I tell you what, it nearly broke me this morning, took me six goes. I thought I was going to bust my streak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you won't be surprised to hear that I haven't been back on it since since we last spoke. Well, all right then. Anyway, what else are we chatting about today? Well, we are going to dive into the really interesting trend of renting furniture and we have lots of fascinating facts to share about the naming of rooms and the different words people have for them. This is one for Sophie, I feel certain. (laughs) And finally, our style surgery is back and we are going to be talking about rugs in kitchens. More controversial (laughs) than it might sound. (laughs) Oh, you got everybody on the edge of their seats. Okay. <laughs> um, but before we crack on with the new episode, I just wanted a quick catch up because last episode we asked you all to look out for convincing images of grey design schemes to support this horrifying news that grey has been touted to be the most fashionable colour for 2022. And uh, have you got any updates? Did you hear from uh, your Instagram followers, It's really interesting. I mean, in a way, I'm not surprised. I had a lot of comments on Instagram and a fair few on the blog, and they were completely polarised. And so just to give you an example, John wrote in very early to the blog, thank (laughs) goodness for that. Grey, capital letters, is back. Anything else is merely a fashion fad promoted by those with vested interests. Grey is calming, sensible and timeless and it's just what's needed in these trying times. So there was that. But then... <laughs> that's a very full... I mean, that's left me quite speechless, John. Well, I mean, you, you I, know, I, is there much comeback from that? John had thoughts. But then Catherine came in and just said, a grey renaissance is not for me, thank you very much, although I am looking forward to listening to the podcast while I redecorate my bedroom in either delicate blue or brighton blue. The jewellery is still out, but whatever it is, it won't be grey, now or ever. And that... (laughs) That kind of set the flavour. I mean, you know, the, it's, it's very polarising, isn't it? Isn't it? I, another one I, I had. Yes, did you have I've one? Done, but, 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 yeah, I've got some. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, as you can imagine, over on my Instagram, it was a lot less pro-grey. But there was quite a lot of people, I suppose it's a little bit of what you always say, Kate, that it makes a lovely neutral background to other colours. And I was particularly interested, for example, to hear from Sarah Lubka, who's a artist. Her artwork is really rainbow, colourful, uplifting. But she messaged me to say, grey is always fashionable. It kindly takes a back seat and allows colours to shine, but also helps restrain it so it doesn't overpower a room. I love grey and I hope to see more tones of grey. But <laughs> I, I, I get that's that. That's from a fellow colour lover. I think it's a great background colour. And that, you know, just to name drop slightly, when I interviewed Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen for my <laughs> book on grey, he said, and I think... I think he has a point. He said, grey is like a squeeze of lemon over your fish. You know, it can just zing everything up and, and make Sorry, everything grey, stand out. Grey is like a squeeze of lemon on your fish. Well, yes, oh, in that, that it work. can make everything pop out. Yes. If you do no, it as a background No, colour. surely greys graze the fish. Graze <laughs> the fish. And the lemon juice is the bright colour. Sorry, no, I think you're being too literal. I think you're being too literal. I think the point was that it can, as your commenter said just there, it can showcase all the other colours and make them pop out. Yes. Well, I beg to differ. I think the lemon juice is your accent colour. That's the zing, isn't it? That it needs to, (laughs) if you're talking about flavours. Anyway, I love arguing with Lawrence and I very rarely agree with anything he says. So there we go. Let's not change a habit of a lifetime. <laughs> um, <laughs> Susie Bellamy sent me a lovely message. Now, anyone who knows Susie Bellamy, she's a fantastic interiors textile designer. Really colourful, really colour soaked, really crazy patterns. And she says that she loves grey. She's used it in her own house to set off brighter colours. She says burnt orange velvet upholstery definitely jumps out against the classic soft tone. There you go, that's your lemon zest right there. There's your lemon. There's there's your lemon. lemon. She says, don't get me wrong, I've injected plenty of colour into our house, but I do champion the use of grey as a great backdrop for colourful art and furniture. And she's a fan of Pavilion Grey by Farron Ball. I mean, lots of people telling me their favourite greys as well. I mean, there's obviously, like, everyone's got their favourite shade of grey. My bedroom was Pavilion Grey for a while. Yes. Yes, there That'd you go. Nice. I was very pavilion grey and downpipe. What I will say about pavilion grey is it can be quite a cool grey, but if you put it in a south-facing room with natural wood, then it is gorgeous. Obviously, you won't think that, but no. I'm just putting that out there. I thought it was really funny. We were watching uh, my new TV show. Oh, really? <laughs> What's that? that? Are you on the telly? My new, t- my new TV show, Dream Home Makeovers, with my <laughs> mum. And my mum, I was at her house watching it. Me and Arthur and mum were curled up watching it. In her French yes, grey open plan living room, yeah, which is the backdrop to all her lovely art and her pink sofa and her jazzy rug, etc., etc. And this was Leslie and John's reveal. It was particularly colourful and uplifting. Lovely Leslie and John, retired couple who didn't want their house to look like an old couple lived there. And they went full on. And my mum simply turned to me and she said, I think it's time for the grey to go. <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was interesting. What so she's colour? had it for five years. Why well, I've got, I, oh gosh, I haven't got the time to go there. My mum is the most indecisive person when it comes to paint colours. I have to ramp myself up before I have that conversation. But she's not feeling but it But it's, it's interesting because we've been talking, well, we're not going to go over it all again, but just in terms of comments, again, I had one from Bright Stuff M on Instagram saying, this makes me really sad. As an estate agent, I see so many grey and white homes and they make me feel like 
like someone has sucked all the colour and life out of them, which I think you would probably identify with, Sophie. But then in comes Howarth Muse Ings saying, yay, I've just painted my living room grey, so I'm very happy. So we've got got all those, haven't we? We have. And I suppose in summary, I guess we're actually here to say, do you know what? If grey's doing it for you, if it's making your upholstery and your artwork pop like a zingy slice of lemon, then, well, you know what? You go for it. And there's just one more which seemed to resonate because we came in on Farrow and Ball saying that Elephant's Breath was tipped to be their most popular colour of 2022. And my teeny tiny house said to me, I painted my kitchen cabinets in Elephant's Breath nine years ago and have since vaguely toyed with the idea of updating it to maybe dark blue or dark green and I've never got round to it. And today I heard that it's tipped to be the bestseller for 2022. So sometimes doing nothing slash being lazy is the best course of action. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) What goes around comes around. And ain't that the truth? (laughs) Right, for our next topic... I wanted to know if you've got any thoughts around rental furniture, because I bring this up because I have to say, I am loving Dragon's Den at the moment. Oh, me too. Loving Dragon's Den. And do you know why? Steve Bartlett, always giving that show a shot in the arm. Absolutely. I think you'll find his name is Stephen. Stephen. Stephen Bartlett, 27-year-old, <laughs> multi, 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 multi millionaire. Is that why Not you that like him, Sophie? I was going to say, that's... <laughs> Clearly got nothing to do with the fact I find him so absolutely mesmerising. So what first attracted you to the multi-millionaire <laughs> Paul Daniels, Debbie McGee? <laughs> R.I.P. Mrs. Merton. <laughs> anyway, one pitch I thought was particularly interesting was from this lady whose business is called The Little Loop. Genius idea, the idea being that you can rent kids' clothes. You keep them for six months and then you send them back and obviously then you get the next size up because anyone who's had children know that they go through clothes like nothing else when they're very, very small. And it was interesting because some of the dragons didn't see any sort of business model in this at all. And Peter Jones actually said, I just don't, I think this is very worthy, but it's not viable because we're just too addicted to fast fashion and it's not about to end anytime soon. And I thought, gosh, that's so depressing. But then Stephen Bartlett, 27 year old, multi, 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 multi billionaire (laughs) entrepreneur with his finger on the pulse said, no, I disagree. The conversations I'm having with fashion brands, with tech entrepreneurs, with the younger entrepreneurs who are coming through in the business is we absolutely do have to take on this problem of fast fashion. And there's lots of conversations around a rent- how a rental model can work in, in not just kids' clothes, but throughout. And so he backed her. And we were all at home going, yeah, amazing. But- Stephen Bartlett comes and saves the day. But so, sorry, just to keep it back to the Great Indoors podcast, got me thinking... What else could we apply the rental model to? Could we do the same with our homes? I think it's beginning to take off rental for homes. I mean, we've noticed it. I've certainly noticed it a lot more on Instagram in terms of fashion. It's not just celebrities, but, you know, people people like us going to events and renting a dress rather than having to buy something fancy that they're never going to wear again. So we have seen it coming through in fashion and... I was approached actually in 2018, I think one of the first companies to do it was a company called Hearth, spelt H-A-R-T-H. 
five-letter word, by the way, should anybody need one. Um, and it was set up by <laughs> Henrietta Thompson. And they, I think, were kind of first into this idea of renting furniture just an individual piece or also using their site to rent out your own furniture, perhaps, rather than putting it in storage. And of course, there has been for a long time, there's been a rental business around the idea of renting an entire room set. Oh, you mean like home staging, which is where, well, it's usually property developers, isn't it? Yeah. Hire in a whole room set of furniture to dress a new property in order to sell it. Or indeed, sometimes people do it, you know, you can get home stages in if you're trying to sell your house it doesn't have any furniture in it to dress it but you're it is a bit more of a business to business model that one isn't it Exactly. And I think that would probably be quite modern corporate-led furniture. So Hearth are saying, you know, more individual pieces of furniture. I mean, they have everything, but it's almost a bit like the Prada bag. You know, you could go and rent a tulip table, a design classic or, or six chairs, and you could rent it for one month or three months or six months. And what they also do is then give you the option to buy. And I spoke to Henrietta about this. She said actually 40% of people go on to buy it. So it's a really nice way of trialing perhaps artwork or colours. It's clever, isn't it? And Really clever because also a lot of people are paralysed about making those big purchases. You know, will I like it? Will I go off it? Will it fit? Well, you could try it out and see if you like it. Exactly. And it's a really good way to perhaps be bold about your style because you could say, do you know what? I am going to rent a bright yellow sofa, which isn't a colour I would normally go for, but let's put it in the space for three months and see if at the end of that time it really isn't right for us and we'll give it back. Or, you know, actually, this is great. We'll buy this one or we'll go and buy our own and it will be much more of a piece of furniture for life because we've, you know, tested it and we know we like it. So... I think I it's a really interesting idea. I, lo- I love the sound of making people bolder. <laughs> yeah, well, of That's course you great. do. So Henrietta is a journalist and she said she set it up because in the way of many successful businesses, she was moving around a lot and she felt that the idea of furniture for life was no longer relevant because, you know, the size of her houses was changing or she had a big sofa that wasn't going to fit in a small room, so she had to sell it. You know, there was that whole sort of thing of furniture not lasting as long as you want it to. So she set it up to be a sort of community idea where people could come in and rent their own stuff out so they could rent something new in and make space and create a circular economy, if you like. And Mm. she began it. She wanted it to be like Airbnb. So it was very community based and people did it on their own. But they're actually about to relaunch later in the year because they've realised that they need to be more involved in terms of the transporting. You know, if I was going to rent out my, to come back to Tulip Table, I'd want to know that it was going to be looked after while it was being rented or that someone would transport it carefully because it's got a marble top. So Hearth are taking all that on and they will transport it. They will look after it. They will photograph it. You can pay perhaps to have it professionally cleaned before it's rented out. And they, they're they just taking off. It's extraordinary. Is it focusing towards the designer pieces? I mean, is it a bit like at the moment at the forefront of fashion hire? It is, you like you say, your designer dresses and your designer shoes and your designer bags. Is this business model more leaning towards iconic designer pieces of furniture. So for example, the Saarinen table you talk about with a marble top. I mean, you're into 10 grand before you know it with one of those. You know, I would love one. Can't say I'm ever going to afford one, but it might be quite appealing to 
rent one. Exactly. Well, I haven't seen one of those on their site. I was having a quick scoot around this morning and there's there was one of those ball chairs and also Ooh, by yeah, Siren and fun. ball chair. Fabulous. And I think you can rent that for £150 a month for three months and then you could buy it at the end if you wanted to or carry on renting. So Hearth, I think, is more that kind of designer, high-end furniture. But there are other places. There's another one um, called Shelf, double F, and that's launching formally in March. And that was founded by a woman called Julia, who told me that she lives in a tiny one-bedroom flat in East London. And she had the idea because she really needed Christmas decorations. She didn't want to buy them because she didn't want to store them. And so she wanted to be able to rent them. So she's working on the principle of renting smaller pieces of furniture, not necessarily design, but things that renters may just need a dining room table or a few chairs. And her notion is very more sort of transient. So you might rent some extra chairs for a dinner party or you might, you know, rent something that's not necessarily designer, but that fills a need on a temporary basis. I think that sounds like a lovely idea. And that feels quite well geared towards as well, just thinking that people who are living in quite small spaces, like you say, you know, you might want to be able to have some extra chairs or a table for when you're throwing a party or around Christmas, for example, but you don't have the storage for it all the time. And the idea being that you can make money on loaning out your items as well as obviously spending money loaning out other people's items so they've got a very much sort of like community at the heart haven't they a kind of it's such a clever idea I mean share alike it makes sense just for the sort of circularity of it you know let's not buy furniture that we then don't know what to do with and we can't sell Mm. or there's only so much stuff the charity shops can take and and move on so it's sort of reducing the overall impact but you know what makes me think this is really going to be a thing And that's when the high street gets involved. And our old friends, John Lewis and partners, stalwart of the high street, have started doing this. And they've teamed up with a company, great name, called Fat Llama, who I think were initially started off renting anything. You could rent a camera from Fat Llama. You can rent a drill. You know, it's that sort of general renting. But they've teamed up with John Lewis and it's not available everywhere in the country. You go into John Lewis Rental, you put in your postcode and it tells you if it'll work. I didn't put in your postcode, but I did put in mine in North London. And it comes up with a list of furniture I can rent, which is basically John Lewis furniture. But again, that's a really good idea of having something on a temporary basis or trying a style. You know, we see these trends. People, you and I talk about this all the time. People are really worried that they're not going to like a trend, they're not going to like a colour. Well, you know, rather than vintage or design classics, you can go to John Lewis and you can rent a seasonal piece that may or may not be trend-led, have a go, see if you like it, or give it back and rent something in a new trend in a few months' time. I think that's really interesting. So this is obviously renting shop new condition furniture here. Yeah. And I've got the website. I'm just I'm just on it now, Kate. I'm scrolling and I have a Oh, what are you renting? And like, well, look, for example, a Herman Miller air on office chair, which I've always quite fancied, but I've never been able to indulge in, is £123 a month. 
And I might hire that for a month. And if it really makes a difference to how I feel and my, They're my comfort. They're so good for your back, then, aren't they? Well, that's it. That's, yeah. And I know that, but it might persuade me to bite the bullet. Beds look around £100 a month. Armchairs, £80 a month. So just to give our listeners a bit of an idea of price points. It's really interesting, isn't it? And talking of office furniture... Oh, do you I... know what, though? I could have a John Lewis and Partners office chair for £20 a month. <laughs> <laughs> but th- but that's brilliant, John Lewis, also catering for all budgets and all styles. But talking of office furniture, apparently IKEA are testing this and they have started testing it in Switzerland, but with office furniture, which I think, I don't know, but it sounds like it was mm. a, a pandemic reaction. So the idea is you could rent office furniture and they're trialling it to see how it goes because they already, Ikea, they have their buyback scheme. Are you aware of this? No, I am not aware. You are not aware? Well, let me tell you. So they have <laughs> a buyback scheme where if you've got a piece of Ikea furniture, which for whatever reason you no longer want or need, you can go on their website, you fill in a form saying what the piece of furniture is, you know, what it cost retail and the condition of it. And IKEA then give you a price, which is usually up to 50% of the retail value. And then you take it back and they sell it in that kind of bargain corner. So they sell it on to somebody who might want it and they give you a voucher for the agreed amount. So up to 50% of the retail price. So obviously you're still spending money in IKEA, but it's there sort of looking at being more sustainable. So they're able to sell on furniture rather than it go to landfill and you're yeah, encouraged brilliant. to buy something new. So they, they've they already started doing that buyback and now they're looking at this rental. And of course, the idea of renting office furniture is perfect because everybody's gone on working from home longer than they thought. Some people aren't sure if they're going back to the office. Some people are thinking... A lot of people have realised the kitchen chair really isn't so bad for your back. Yeah. (laughs) So actually, if you know that your office is saying, you know, by the end of 2022, we're all going to be back in the office, but you've got another six months, this is the point at which you could go, do you know what? I'm going to rent that proper office chair and save my back and then I can give it back and go back to work. So Mm. really interesting. I think this is a sector that's really going to take off. So there's a few things, I suppose, here. It's it's great for sustainability, which I think is how we got into this. But then it's also giving people a lot more freedom to have confidence with their decor by trying before they're buying, if you like. And also helping people who rent or move house a lot have the right type. You know, you're not always trying to shoehorn furniture that doesn't fit your new house into your new space. So it kind of makes everything a lot easier And how encouraging that this is all being thought about and well organised. And interesting, I think, to come back to half, 40% of people go on to buy. And I think that would be me because, you know, I'm an only child. I am not good at the lending. I'm not good at the sharing. (laughs) I've never been able to be in a library because I will inevitably steal the books. But the idea that, you know, if you like it that much, you can buy it and then you could rent out the thing to make space for it. It's just a brilliant circle. I love it. And then for someone like me who just likes, I mean, my house is basically like my grown-up doll's house who likes having a shift around and a change. Yeah. I could do that. I think one area that has owned the rental market a bit longer, which I think we can add in here, is renting artwork. I mean, I'm mad passionate about supporting artists and fine artists. And I think they can a, a lovely piece of artwork can really make a room. And lots of people 
can't afford original artwork or get worried about making that kind of investment. So that is another area to explore, the idea of renting paintings or indeed sculptures for your home. And again, if you get bored of it, you could switch it around. Yeah. So for example, a well-established site would be Modern Art Hire, for example. Brilliant idea. We'd love to hear if any of you have dipped your toes into this trend. Come and join the conversation over on the Great Indoors podcast Facebook group. And of course, we're always hanging out over on Instagram, where I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house. So, Kate, this topic I thought would be quite interesting. and I'd love to get your thoughts and insights into this. And indeed, I think this is another one that we can throw out to our listeners is all the different words and terms we have for the rooms within our home. So let me tell you why why this came up for me. You know, I've got a TV show on at the moment. Yeah, a bit I'm dream sorry. Home well, I, yeah. I can't hear you. Uh, um, I think my Wi-Fi's <laughs> <Cracking> crashed. <laughs> anyway, uh, when I'm doing the voiceovers, obviously the producer writes the voiceover script for me to read out in a voiceover booth, and that's what you hear me chatting away over the top of the pictures. Anyway... He'd put the word lounge throughout the whole script. And it's always sent to me to kind of review first to make sure, you know, he's not literally putting words in my mouth. And I just crossed it all out and was like, living room, living room, living room, living room. I don't say lounge, I say living room. And then I was like, why do I say living room? And why do other people say lounge? And what do you call yours, for example? Sitting room. Well, there you go. So then there we were. And then I remember growing up, my mum, I have to say rather pretentiously, called it the drawing room. I mean, what's that about? That was the room we actually only ever used at Christmas. Not that we had a big house. We just had one room down the end, which was too cold. It's my interesting. My, it. my grandmother had a drawing room and it was a big formal, I'm going to say That's sitting room, idea. but it was a big formal room with sofas in it. And obviously the drawing room came historically from the withdrawing room. So when everybody was having dinner, the women would have to get up and withdraw to the withdrawing room so the men could drink port and smoke cigarettes and, you know, tell dirty jokes and everything like that. And eventually, <laughs> and quite rightly, that passed out of fashion, but the name still stuck. But there is a notion... I don't think it's... anyone uses the word... draw. I've never heard anyone use the word drawing room, though, in this day and age. That's not very commonly used, is it? Well, I think it, it, the thing is, a lot of these names have become, as is always the case in this country, slightly bound up with class and upbringing. And, you know, these are the names we have. I mean, in many ways, we never used the word lounge growing up, but it is a great word because that's what you're doing in there. That is your room Lounging. where you go to lounge. That's why we've always oh, called it a no, sitting see, room why, because you're sitting. You're why, not living in yours. Or oh, if you I are see, living I... in yours, why have you got a kitchen? It's a sitting room or a lounging room. <laughs> well, then you'd have a sleeping room and a bathing room. And I'm not going to well, tell you what you call the toilet then. We'll get onto that later. <laughs> I mean, the other rooms are more, well, I suppose sleeping or bedroom, you know, room with a bed. Yeah, I mean, we had, so we while we had a drawing room in my family home, the other room, which is the one that we were in all the time, was the snug. You see, that for me feels very pub. I think pubs have snugs. Pubs have <laughs> You could have a snug and a saloon. <laughs> you've got parlour, you've got front room, you've got... Well, uh, I have actually sometimes called ours the front room because it is literally the room in the front. She at the front. I think that's that very common that for people to call it the front room. Um, doesn't work the for parlor, me. And the parlour, the old fashioned, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, that no one is uses that, that sort of Victorian, small... And I think that if you talk about parlour 
that implies it's a bit Dickens, isn't it? It implies that it's kind of dark. <laughs> it's very, you know, richly furnished. Not yeah, used very fring- often. There's some fringing. There's some fringing going on in the parlour, isn't there? Definitely got a fringing velvet, in your parlour. Yeah. yeah, not a euphemism. <laughs> hashtag. <laughs> then you've got reception room. Quite an estate agent term for it. Well, Leaves that's a kind of catch-all room. term, though, isn't it? With estate agents. Reception room would tend to mean a room which doesn't necessarily have a specific function. So you would have three bedrooms, a kitchen and a bathroom, and then anything else becomes a sort of catch-all reception room because it's a room you can decide what you want to do. Or the dining room, they would also count that as a reception Mm. room because I think the Victorians felt that, you know, there were sort of public rooms and private rooms. So you would have, you know, your bedroom was a private room, but you would have a reception room where you might have guests and be more to sort receive of public-facing, yes, to do your receiving. So there you go. It's an absolute minefield, is it? It's like, are you withdrawing? Or you're, are, you re- are you receiving? Are you at the front? Are you in the den? Are you snug? Are you lounging? Or are you sitting up? Or indeed, are you just living in this particular room? I'd, I think it's fascinating. And I'd love to I'd love to have a poll or something on our Facebook group to find out what people call their living room, because there's just so many different terms. Well, and I wonder if they change internationally, because years ago, I was a big fan of the Australian sitcom, Kath and Kim. I don't know if you remember Kath and Kim. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. She used to talk about the good room and I think the good room room, well I think by process of elimination because I think it was so good she never actually went in it um but by (laughs) by process of elimination I think it was again the idea of a sort of slightly posher sitting room that so probably not a den more up with your drawing room than than your snug but any Australian listeners do tell me and I what do Americans call it I don't think I even know. Well, there we go. Uh, We want to hear from people. On the Australian front, this brings me swiftly onto um, the WC, the toilet, the lavatory. There's so many words for this. And the Australians call it, I believe, a dunny. Yeah. I think that might be kind of a farming word. Again, do correct me if I'm wrong. But it's got, (laughs) again, it's got so many wet names. Powder room. Restroom, the Americans call it a restroom. Well, and they also call it the bathroom. And, and I find that, I mean... And that's we've confusing. Had, and that's just confusing for us in the UK when, when an American comes into your house and says, where's the bathroom? And they actually... And you, you know, you end up sending them upstairs think you're having a bath. Um, but you can't, <laughs> you can't call it a bathroom when it's just a downstairs cloakroom. No. And then do you think there's like levels of formality? I mean, like if I came round to your house, I'd ask to use the loo, but... If I was around someone's house, I didn't know, would I call it something else? Would I say, you know, where's the ladies or... Ladies you know, feels you... to me a bit restaurant. I wonder if you'd say, you know, yes, could, say I, to a could I use with the toilet? The or maybe you would say bathroom because it's that very British way of not wanting to say anything by its real name. I wouldn't say lavatory. I just No, that's, but that's probably no. the, the posh way. Lavatory. Uh, WC, who says that? Who calls it the WC? I'd love to know. Does anyone call it the WC? And then I think I think it's quite funny. Like, for example, I call it a loo. My husband Tom calls it a toilet. And every time he says t- the word toilet, I have a little shudder. Like, I just don't like that word. That's because you're I'm so wondering, posh. But, uh, well, there you go. Is it that? I mean, I don't know. I'm like, why do I find that? I don't find it offensive. I'm just like, ooh, it's like an ick. But then I thought about it and I thought, well, he's a builder. And then when you're working with builders, and indeed when I'm doing a design, when I'm doing a bathroom design, I talk about where I'm going to site the toilet. I don't talk about where I'm going to put the loo. You know, it's a more of a professional term, isn't it? I'm toilet, surprised he's I not think. calling it the pan. 
That's what my well, builders always seem to call it. Well, then that's the next thing. So then it isn't even really a toilet. So then you get into the ordering and the installation process and it's the cistern and the pan, isn't it? Yeah. It's actually got two names. Oh, to have a lie down. So much. <laughs> Just call it the Danny. Honey. The Danny, honey. Where am I going to put the Danny on this layout? I think my guess is really posh people never say it because they wouldn't dream of going in someone else's house. <laughs> so they don't need to ask where it is. Yeah, I reckon, you know, these are other people's houses. We're leaving now. <laughs> so now if any of you have a problem with your parlour or a drama with your drawing room, <laughs> do you like what I did there? Uh, we're here to help. Just email thegreatindoorspod at gmail.com and do include a voice note if you can. For this week's style surgery, we've had a message from Louise Cameron in Sirencester, Gloucestershire. And I'm going to put in her first line, your wisdom and advice would be much appreciated, please. That's clearly to me, not to you. Um, Anyhow, I will go on. I've recently had my kitchen units repainted, a gorgeous sage green, if you're asking, and I'd like to incorporate a runner and a rug into the space. The runner for the narrow space between the arger and the kitchen island, and the rug to sit under the table and chairs on the other side of the room and island. The room is pretty big. It's a Georgian listed building, so nice proportions to work with. Yeah. Here are my dilemmas. Is it a good idea to have rugs in the kitchen? Husband mutters about food mess, although our children are now adults, so hopefully not a problem. What material should you use? Is sizal too harsh and difficult to move chairs on? I've seen lots of recommendations for rugs that are suitable for outdoors. Is that the answer? Pattern? Plain? Flat weave? The same for the runner? The rug? See my confusion? Help me! (laughs) I'm sure that Kate has mentioned that the size of the rug under the table should also include a certain distance for pulling out the chairs. But what is that distance? Please help me! All right, breathe, Louise. (laughs) (laughs) so much to unpack here but first of all when it comes to size of rug under a table you need at least a meter bigger than the surface of the table which will allow someone sitting down on a chair to kind of push it back and stand up and slide out without ruckling it up oh my gosh do you know what that's quite a reach i've got my hold on i'm gonna get my tape measure out and check oh steady actual technical i'm just checking tape measure I don't know that I've got a metre. <laughs> a metre's quite a lot. What have I got? I've got about 80 centimetres. OK, well, there you go. Minimum 80. Metre is comfortable. But that allows you that to pull a big the chair room. That is a big room. But she lives in a Georgian house. It's huge. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, well, that I suppose that's the thing is... It needs to be the right proportion visually as well. A yep. little rug under a table just looks odd. And the ruckling point, I think, do a ruckle test that your chairs don't snag on the back. Well, I think you definitely annoying. want to have something, if you can, that's not too thick because you're going to end up, if you push your chair back a bit and the back legs are on the floor and the front legs are on the rug, then you're tilted. So a sort of a flat weave is better for the chair levels but also if things get spilled or dropped you know you don't want to be rummaging around in the deep pile trying to retrieve your biscuit crumbs well here I'm gonna yeah I think a very deep pile like a Moroccan Berber that could be a bit of a headache but I would avoid a flat weave because I think they're quite tricky to keep clean a flat weave rug you know those sort of Indian kilims and things I've got a, a sort of Persian under mine and it hides a multitude of sins so that's where I'd go with it get like a really 
deep, heavily patterned rug under your dining table. This is absolutely, yeah. I mean, I've got a Persian rug under my table and it's brilliant because you can't see the coffee, you can't see the red wine. It just sort of soaks it all up and it disappears. So, (laughs) I mean, we can come on to the runner in a minute, but definitely under the table, unless you are not eating at your table. If your table is for (laughs) work only, then you want dark, heavy pattern. None of those beautiful pale Berbers because I think you're asking for trouble. I think a wool rug as well tends to be quite good. They're very, very robust, a wool rug. And again, I know that's a bit of an investment. I'd always look at vintage or antique Persians. That's what I've done. I've never bought new because they can be quite expensive. But it does mean that, you you know, they're easily cleaned either by yourself or you can get somebody in to clean them. Otherwise, the other material to look at, which is a lot more affordable is a polypropylene rug. This is a obviously a man-made fibre and they do tend to be quite stain resistant because it's essentially a kind of plastic, isn't it? Well, they tend to be the, the outdoor rugs and I think an outdoor rug is a really good idea because they're tough, as you say, and stain proof and you can, you know, wash them and wipe them down. There's a rug I have got in my hall, actually, and I'm going to mention it by name because lots of people have asked me about it. So let's get into it. And it's by this American company called Ruggable and they call it a kind of rug system. And the idea is that there's a base. You can have a, a thick, sort of slightly softer base or a thinner one that is, I mean, it's not Velcro, but it effectively rolls out into your space and will grip the floor, floorboards. And then it has the rug, which is made out of, I think, chenille or something thinner that hooks over the base. And then you just simply pick up the top part of the rug and bung it in the washing machine. It's completely washable. And lots of people have spoken to me about this. And I've now got one in my hall with the idea that it's black and white stripes. And when it gets muddy footprints on it, stick it in the washing machine and wash it. I mean, obviously, if you've got a really massive one, that might not fit in your washing machine. But for a runner or a sort of average size, two metres under a table, that works really well. And I think that's that's a really good idea for a kitchen where you are bound to be spilling things and dropping things. Yeah, it's a brilliant idea. Have you washed your rug yet? Have you actually put it to the test? I haven't washed mine because I'm quite lazy about laundry. Um, or, you're but quite, I, or you're quite obviously quite tidy in your hallway. You well, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it could do with a wash. Maybe I'll do it by next time we speak. But I mm-hmm. have seen reports of other people who've washed theirs and they say that they just wash brilliantly. I mean, that is kind of the point of them. And they've got mm. loads of great designs. Mine's a Jonathan Adler. So it's quite funky and geometric and I really like it. So that's a brilliant idea really for dining room rugs or indeed the kitchen rug. I mean, with the kitchen rug, obviously that's something that's smaller and being able to wash it yourself rather than get someone in to clean it is obviously a lot more practical and affordable in the long run. Um, Because, I mean, I think you say your kids are older, but I mean, to be honest, it's me that makes all the mess in our kitchen. (laughs) I'm so fingered. I'm always dropping stuff on the floor. But that, I think, is why I would steer clear of a sizal because I just feel that you're going to get crumbs into that sort of deep And you can't get it out again. Yeah, it's fine if you can sort of pick it up and shake it outside the door, but I think I would steer clear of sizal. Yeah, all those lovely natural floorings. I've got seagrass upstairs, but I purposely didn't put it downstairs because I just didn't think I'd be able to keep it clean enough. Like you say, it's quite a touchy natural material anyway. It doesn't like water, those sorts of natural fibres. And because of the very, very deep weave and texture, yeah, you get ketchup in there. It's never coming out again, is it? No, no, I don't think it... I was going to say, if you wanted to have it in the runner where it would be easy to pick it up and shake it outside, 
on the basis that something under the table is annoying to pick up because you've got to move all the furniture. But you're right, if you're dropping olive oil or ketchup into that space between the agar and the sink, then it's a disaster. You need to I'm go I'm going to throw in another left field, just idea to round this off. What about creating a rug and I'm using little inverted commas as I say that, out of flooring tiles. I appreciate, Louisa, this isn't actually what you're asking me, but for anybody else out there who is about to lay a new floor in their dining room, dining area, or indeed kitchen, I think it's great to create a rug effect with pattern tiles. So this is where you just lay pattern tiles maybe in the in the strip behind your island in a kitchen that looks super cool, or indeed you create a patch of pattern tiles where you would have an area rug under your dining table. So you're getting the pattern, you're getting the colour, but it's really super easy to keep clean. And I think it looks super cool. There's actually one other solution before hopefully Louise has got... <laughs> Oh, I'm going to wrap this up now. I'm going to get the last thought in. Off she goes again. Oh. And another thought. Uh, <laughs> I can't help it. I have thoughts. And I have a thought. A company called Bajer Floor, which I'm going to spell because it's not necessarily instinctive. B-E-I-J-A and floor with only one R. And they make <laughs> vinyl. Only one R. <laughs> floor with only one R. Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> this recording's no, gone on too long. We've lost the plot. Something, um, that is something I would say. Beja, B-E-I-J-A, and floor with only one O. And they make... Oh, is that, is, oh with only one O, is that? Is it, are you sure it's not one R? No, it's one, one O. Listen, before I forget my point, they are basically vinyl rugs and you can buy them in any size. They work really well in runners and they look a bit like pattern tiles, but because they're vinyl, you can just throw them down on the floor and you can mop them and brush them and sweep them. And that's a really good idea for rugs. So that maybe Louise could have a soft rug under the table and then one that coordinated either colour-wise or pattern-wise in vinyl between the Arga and the island where there might be, you know, more chance of spillages and things being dropped and that's much easier to mop. So thanks so much for writing in, Louise. And if anyone else has any burning style dilemmas they'd like us to sort out, do get in touch. There will, of course, be more links and pictures and words of wisdom on the blogs madaboutthehouse.com and sophierobinson.co.uk. You should do that next line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that line. There may still be time to see Dream Home Makeovers on Catch Up on Channel 5 with presented by someone called Sophie Robinson. No idea who she is. She, no idea if she's any good. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. I want, I want to make you do that again, but no, that was perfect. Oh, brilliant. Thanks for the plug, Kate, because I know how hard... How hard that was for you. <laughs> just mean so crying. much. <laughs> just crying. And thanks to our producer, Kate Taylor. And lastly, but of course not least, thanks so much to you for listening. We'll see you in the great indoors. I saw something about this, didn't I? Oh, I know what it was. It was um, Steve Bartlett on Dragon's Den. Shall I, shall I lead in with that as an antidote? Yes, do. As an, as okay. an antidote or an anecdote or just a starter? <laughs>